0: Great to be together this morning. It's great to worship together and as Debbie let us um just the ministry of the spirit at the end, it's a beautiful thing. And um we want to uh, encourage you that if you're here this morning whether this message really resonates with you or not. Hopefully it will. But even if it doesn't, uh, Jesus is here. <laughs> He's moving. And uh, we'd love to be able to minister to you at the end if there's anything you're struggling with. There's a prayer ministry team that will be here. Um, and we can, uh, we'd can we love to pray for you. I want to continue to pray for Liz and Janet. It's good to see you both out. Let's continue to prayer for them as they've gone through such a tough time, losing their beautiful sister just over a week and a half ago. And um, we are a body. And the Bible teaches us when one part of the body suffers, then the whole body suffers. And um, and so we all want to suffer together in the right way that Jesus wants us to. And uh, we're praying for you both. Um, well, very brave coming out this morning. We're going to uh, continue a theme here, or well, transition our theme from the theme of Gilgal to the theme of Jericho. Um, This is the sort of natural next step in the Joshua narrative of the the book of Joshua we've been looking at. September and October we focused on the place called Gilgal in Joshua chapter 5. And um, this next kind of bit that we get to is is all about Jericho, uh, a city that seemed like a big fortress, impenetrable, uh, in natural kind of circumstances or by natural ways, and, um, uh, uh, and the children of Israel have to confront that. And we're going to get to that over the next few weeks, and so we just want this little mini-series, if you like, to take us up to the end of the year. Um, and so we want to introduce that to you today, um, but before we do, just a brief recap um, because I think it's always really good for us to understand why we're teaching on certain things um, because it feels like the Lord is taking us somewhere. Um, and uh, the pattern of how we felt the Lord lead us as a church, you'll have hopefully picked up if you've been around for any time, is quite similar to um, the biblical pattern we see with the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, After a period of wilderness wandering, if you like, learning how to follow the cloud like the children of Israel had to do, we feel like recently the Lord has allowed us to almost cross over the Jordan as we've moved into this location. We've had our own miracle story of provision. Somebody bought us a building. Um, that is that is a miracle, supernatural kind of provision from the Lord, and a bit like you know the children of Israel in the Old Testament. There was the, the 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 first generation that came out of Egypt. They had their miracle, didn't they, through the Red Sea? But the next generation needed their own miracle, and they crossed over the Jordan. And we really feel like the Lord has allowed us to do that in terms of that provision. And through COVID, if you like, <clears throat> prior to moving into this building, the Lord has been schooling us as the Lord does in the wilderness. It's right through the Bible, that pattern of wilderness, and he's been preparing us to become a people of promise. We want to learn how to be a people that have not just left Egypt, but have had Egypt taken out of us, <clears throat> that we haven't just left our sin, but we have the patterns of sin which try to define us, remove from us. A people don't, who just don't realize that they have a promised land, but a people who realize they are God's Promised land. A people who just don't realize that with God you get the prizes, but realize that God Himself is the prize, and we are His prize. A people who will truly lean into their God-given inheritance, who will who will not like the first generation of Israelites get saved and delivered but miss out on their inheritance. But a people who will live into the fullness of that promised land. And so as we cross over the Jordan. And as you move into the land of promise, as we talked about, our first stop was Gilgal, And that's what we've been looking at over the last number of weeks where the new generation had to circle around this kind of first base in the promised land where God had to carve into them, remind them of their divine, sacred calling as a people, a place where God said, which Gilgal means rolling away the shame, and you're not going to be defined anymore by the generational trauma that you've had to carry. You're not going to be defined anymore by the generational curse or the shame that has attached itself to your identity, you're going to be free to live into all that I have for you because you can't carry that into the land of destiny. Gilgal was the place where God was saying, I want you to go further than your parents ever did. I want you to get what your parents didn't get. I want you to understand that. I want you to go beyond that. I want you to live into the fullness of it. I want you to go beyond, as Chris reminded us last week, I want you to go beyond just receiving manna, just getting my provision, to actually stewarding my provision. Can you be that kind of a disciple? Can you grow up enough where it's not just dad gives me handouts, but I get to help dad run the family business? because I have matured and grown into the person that can be entrusted with the provision of the Lord. This is what the journey of the children of Israel was all about. God's designs and desires for the children of Israel, and God's designs and desires for you and for me are beyond what you could ever imagine. And so any discipline, any waiting, any perseverance, any challenge that we have to go through is only so the Lord can help allow that Use that, sorry, to make us the kind of people that can carry a weight of glory beyond what we could ever have imagined. And so after the children of Israel are consecrated, reconsecrated, if you like, and circumcised, marked as God's holy people there, seem to be ready... To move forward, to inherit the land now, to go into this land flowing with milk and honey, to go into the land of Canaan, which God had promised them. They'd spent some time looking back. Now it seems it was time to move forward towards Jericho. It's time to advance into Canaan. But it seems before they're going to see anything happen at Jericho itself, God still has to do another thing. God still has to teach them, particularly Joshua, something else. If they're going to see, Jericho, this stronghold, fall. So let's read together. Joshua chapter 5, I think it's on the screen, verse 13. You can turn to it if you have a Bible. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Let me just read that again. This comes directly after the passage that Chris would have Left us off at last last week, the end of Joshua chapter five. So straight after kind of Gilgal. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, "Are you for us or for our enemies?" "Neither," he replied. "But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come." Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, "What message does my Lord have for his servants?" The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua, it appears, is in the vicinity at this particular point of Jericho. It looks like I get the impression that he's kind of peering over this city, wondering how on earth, with its impressive big walls, it's ever going to be defeated. How is God ever going to give this stronghold into their hands? He's closing in on what is the enemy, if you like, in his mind. And it appears Joshua needs an encounter. He, 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 he needs to know what kind of battle he's about to engage in. Before every battle, there is a revelation there is encounter or there should be for us to get instruction from the Lord about how we are to fulfill the next level of assignment. And so as he closes in and it seems the intimidation of the enemy comes, there is a moment of encounter. And I think that's a word for some of you today. Sometimes we are faced with something that feels quite intimidating, an enemy, a stronghold that's coming against us. And God wants to meet us in that place. God wants to reveal himself to us, to instruct us First and foremost, to know that he's with us, but more to help us understand how he wants us to overcome that. But this heavenly man stands before Joshua with the drawn sword in his hand, and he's called the commander of the army of the Lord. Many people believe this is a prefiguration of Christ, right? But he's the commander. It's a very impressive picture of a man standing. And Joshua can only think to ask this man who's standing in front of him with the drawn sword, the commander of the army of the Lord. And he's like, who is this, right? He's startled, I can imagine. And he can only think to ask him as he stands in this kind of threshold of looking out at Jericho, are you for us or are you for them? Who, who are you for? You can, you can imagine the intensity of all the kind of nervous tension that he's feeling. And he says, are you for us or are you for them? And the answer is really interesting. Neither. Wow. Neither. One word of incalculable significance. One word that is a complete game changer for how we live as human beings on this world. Are you for us or are you for them? (laughs) Is what's God doing here. He's just dodging the question or is there something else that we really need to understand? That's going to be, we're going to explore a little bit tomorrow and next week. What does it mean? Well, quite simply, it means straight off the bat, God doesn't take sides. This is really, 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 really really important. It means that God, in this Joshua narrative, it's actually not about Israel versus the Canaanites, first and foremost. It's about God's battle. It's about God's story. It's about God's purposes, of which the children of Israel, get to participate in or be supporters of. Joshua is not going to get to reduce God down to his political agenda. God is not going to allow Joshua to reduce him down to his own ideology. God is not going to allow Joshua to reduce him down to his nation's best interests. God is not going to allow Joshua to define who God is and should be. So Joshua needs this pretty radical encounter. This is Joshua's burning bush. Do you remember like 40 years maybe before this? His um, grip mentor Moses had a burning bush experience. Similar language used in this encounter. Take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. This too is holy ground. Moses had the encounter we read of in Exodus chapter three before the burning bush. And do you remember in that particular encounter, there's a particular, when God tells Moses that he wants him to be the one that's going to stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses, like, you know, bargains with God, really, me, not me, da, da, da. And then he says, all right, then God, well, you know, if I'm going to go and tell them that, you know, this God says that his people are to go free, who will I tell them you are? So he asks God, what's your name? And um, some of us will know that the response to that is this word that, theologians ever since have never really ever been able to fully define. But it's where we get the word Yahweh from, and even Yahweh is a bit of a squeeze, a bit of a stretch to try and make sense of this word, which is four vowels, which are kind of the very sound of our breathing, yaw, he, yaw, and he, which gives us in English the best we can do is, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And so when you have this man called Moses who God is meeting in a very intimate way, saying, I'm going to burn up inside you like this bush, only not consume you. But if you want to know who I am, here's who I am. I am who I am. In other words, you can't fully define me. This is the word, the name of God that the Jews, even to this day, will not say because it's so ineffable, it's so holy to them. It's so mysterious. It's so beyond what we can define. And this is who God says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. You can't squeeze me into the doctrine that you want to squeeze me into. (laughs) You can't make me do what you want me to do. I am who I am. There was a theologian called Rudolf Otto, and years ago, um, he came up with this phrase along with some other theologians with a Latin phrase, because lots of like, if it's in Latin, it just sounds more holy, doesn't it? But anyway, he came up with this phrase, mysterium tremendum, and it was the word that kind of gets at this, I am who I am. Theologians would use this to describe this part of God that is almost beyond knowing, This part of God that no concept or image or metaphor will actually describe because he's beyond it all. And Joshua in this experience with the commander of the army of the Lord's hosts is experiencing something similar. When he tries to say, are you for us or are you for them? (laughs) And the commander of the army of the Lord says, neither, Joshua. You can't, I'm not going to be your puppet on a string God. I'm not your genie in a bottle. I'm not your superstitious kind of thing that you just have a little prayer to to see. It's, it's funny how we do that, isn't it? It's funny how we want to reduce God. It's funny how we think we can control things. And we, we say we don't, but it's in our language. Do you ever, you know, when people say, you know, like, they talk about something and say, you know, Hope, hopefully this will happen, touch wood. Like, What's what the wood going to do? Never mind, never, ne- never mind God. You know, we we do these ridiculous kind of things, like superstitious little things, and sometimes we even translate that into how we understand God. He's beyond us. He's beyond our understanding. And what we think somehow we could maybe control that. And Joshua hears the Lord say to him, neither, when he tries to work out who he's for. And then he says, this is how the sentence finishes, but as the commander of the army of the Lord I have now come. Or now I have come. Think of those words. Now I have come. Now I have come. This is not your battle. This is this is my story, Joshua. Of which I am inviting you to come and take part on. I haven't come to take sides, Joshua. I've come to take over. Not in as we'll see in Jesus, not in some hierarchical CEO, corporate you know, kind of autocratic type leader. That's not how God that's not how God controls anything. But equally he is sovereign and he is in control and he rules in love, as we'll say. And so I just feel like this is really, really important for us today, both generally in our lives and then very specifically. Uh, in our context here in Northern Ireland and particularly in this part of Northern Ireland called um, Portadown, Mid-Ulster, whatever you want to describe it as. First of all, the challenge to us, generally speaking, about how we reduce God to our own concepts and our own images and our own desires. God often becomes a projection of what we want God to be or the kind of God we want God to be. I don't think it's any coincidence that the first two commandments are this you shall have no other gods before me. Second, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. Now, we can very quickly think that that's because in those days they had these kind of golden calves and they worshiped the sun and they did all these different things. But we we all do it, don't we? I think it was John Calvin that said, the heart is an idol factory. We, we constantly have these projections of how we feel God should operate. And every now and again, God needs to step into our lives and say, now I have come. Take your sandals off. This is holy ground. We often want God, want to make God into the God we want him to be. A very wise man one time once told me this phrase that I've never forgotten. In a time of great suffering in my life, he said, sometimes, Alan, our journey towards God is a stripping away of illusions about God. Now, that is quite deep, so you have to think about it. Um, but I realized when he said that to me, I was disappointed with God at that particular time in my life. I thought God should have acted and responded in a certain way. I thought God should have answered the prayers that I prayed in a particular way. All of those kind of things. And I had to realize that sometimes as we journey towards God, the illusions that we have about how we feel God should act have to be stripped away because subconsciously even we do this. We, we want God to be the God that we expect him to be for us <laughs> or for our people. But we can't control who God is. We, he doesn't necessarily play to our tune. This is the essence of faith. To believe in the goodness of God and to allow our whole lives to surrender to the compelling voice of God. To submit ourselves to His Lordship even when we don't see all the answers. And so a great question to ask yourself this morning is this. why Why the control? Why the control? When it comes to God, what are you afraid of? When it comes to God, what walls are up That need to come down and sometimes it's really insightful to ask why are they even there sometimes they can be there for a whole host of reasons that were that's where we need the wisdom and the Holy Spirit but often it's through fear hurt woundedness in our lives Um, and walls come up and then we begin to control how we think God should move within the walls of our lives and the commander of the army of the Lord steps into our lives and disrupts them and says, take your sandals off. Now I have come. This is holy ground. But the great privilege of Christianity, the great privilege of being a follower of Jesus is we don't need to build an image of God because God has revealed his very own image in the person of Jesus Christ. That God is like Jesus, the mysterium tremendum came in flesh and blood, lived the kind of life that you and me lived, only lived a wholly different life because this was the most beautiful person that has ever lived, the glory of God in a person. When we see Jesus, we see the Father, and we see a human being who doesn't have to be in control, even though he is. We see a human being zero resistant to the Holy Spirit, zero resistant. We see a human being willing to be served by others, willing to be ministered to by others, willing to be vulnerable before others, willing to be weak before others, and He's the Son of God. This is who Jesus is, this is who God is, and this is who God wants us to be. So why the control? Why, why the walls? Why do we feel that we need to? Why do we feel we can't fully trust God? <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's moments like these that Joshua has, and moments in our lives, and maybe moments for us this morning where we have to remember that God comes into our lives. Now I have come. We are creature, He is creator. And so, like the writer in Ecclesiastes says, You are God in heaven or God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. We we need some of these moments in our lives where we allow God to fully be in control, knowing that his control is manifested in in the beauty of love. That is how God's power is understood through his love. And so first and foremost, I feel like there's a, general, there's a general challenge to us around how we can try to control. But secondly, there's a real challenge to us here, I feel, in the way we understand the other in our lives, the way we understand God, but the way we understand the other. Joshua needed reminded here that God was not on his side more than he was on the other side. Are you for us? Or are you against us? Neither. The thing about this passage is so ironic is that without getting into this bunny trail too far this morning, the book of Joshua has been used throughout church history to back up some of the worst things Christians or the church has ever done, right? And it's been used to conquer lands. It's been used to exterminate people groups, It's been used in the most brutal of ways. And yet, arguably, this particular passage here is maybe the most important verse in it. Are you for us or are you for them? Neither. There are parts of Joshua that are tough to square, and I don't know all the answers, and that's another sermon for another day. And we will see in a moment how Jesus reframes the book of Joshua, I think, in quite a remarkable way. But I'm going to show you that in a moment. But there's something really important about this verse that does show us who God is. God is beyond our tribal and political ways of thinking. God is not on my side any more than he's on yours. God is above all forms of human partiality. God does not take sides we are the ones that take sides. And we have been taking sides as humankind since the very beginning. Once, as part of our fallenness, once they eat of the apple, of the the fruit of the tree of good and evil. Uh, You know, Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent. We see it play out in Cain and Abel. And the cycle begins. Cain gets jealous of Abel and Murr. Sides are taken. Cain goes and builds a city and builds a big defensive city. And and all of a sudden, we have civilization built on us against them. And it was never God's way. It was never God's intention. Because God's heart has always been for his children, all his children. God's heart is for a multicultural, multi-ethnic people where every tribe and tongue and nation will stand before the throne and worship Jesus. Israel was chosen to help reveal God's heart. Israel was chosen to help bring the heart of God to showcase it for all of humanity. God had to mark them out In order that they would be different from the other nations, in order that they would show His love and His mercy to all nations. And so, their set-apartness was not some entitled exclusive thing. Their set-apartness was so that they would show the world who God really is. God was telling Joshua at this particular point that He was not actually any more for Israel than He was for all humankind. The thing was, it was just that Israel had rebelled against God, not just humankind, sorry, the world had rebelled against God. And not only had the world rebelled against God, we see this in the flood in the Tower of Babel, but without, get, without getting too complicated here this morning, it is important to know this. Not only did humankind rebel against God, but the angels rebelled against God. Loads of rogue angels, if you like, loads of principalities, loads of demonic forces. And so God, in a sense, had to give the nations up and their gods who had been Uh, kind of in rebellion, there was like a twin rebellion in the heavens and on the earth. And God has to narrow the focus down to choose a people who will carry his heart for the nations in order that through them, all the nations can be won back. God's heart hadn't changed for humankind. And if you want even more evidence of this, you will see this. We didn't teach on this in this last couple of months. But at the start of Joshua, you'll see there is a woman called Rahab who is a Canaanite prostitute who gets redeemed because God's heart is for all mankind to be redeemed, and we see a sign of that in the Rahab story. And so, this big phrase that's on the screen, um, which is um, the next one, I think, Rose, it says this, um, the scandal of particularity, in other words, choosing one specific group of people was always for ultimate inclusivity in order that all the nations would be one. And so God picked one people group, one tribe, the Israelites, the Hebrews, the slaves, as His treasured possession to set His love upon them so that they might be a holy priesthood onto the nations and so that they would reveal God's goodness and God's heart. And so God in this scene with Joshua is reminding him of this very truth. We are saved to serve. We are saved to showcase the heart of God to our broken humanity who God is for. We're not saved to speculate who's in and who's out. I, I am done with those kind of conversations. Some of us maybe grew up drinking cups of tea, talking about who the elect is and who the elect isn't, and all that kind of stuff. The reality is God is, loves the world, for God so loved, not the elect, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And those of us who are saved, were saved to serve as the new Israel in the world to reveal who God is. And, and so God is reminding Joshua when he says, God, are you for us? Are you for them? And the commander of the Lord says, neither. God is reminding us of the big plan that we get to be part of and the big plan that Israel was part of. And if we don't get this, we end up, and the church has ended up using Joshua in the book of Joshua. It has to be said in the most vile and dehumanizing ways that you can imagine. I'll never forget doing some church history and realizing how this book has been used in this country. Just, like, listen to, like, how Oliver Cromwell talked about the Irish holy smoke. It would blow your brains out. You wouldn't believe that people could actually use the Bible to say You wouldn't believe how some of the American kind of Christians used as they pioneered the new world this to like ransack indigenous people groups and they used the book of Joshua. And yet the commander of the army of the Lord stepped into Joshua when he said, are you for us or are you for them? Are you for our agenda or for their agenda? Are you for our win or for their win? Neither. That's who God says he is. And so people who miss this particular verse in Joshua miss the point and they certainly miss Jesus. They certainly miss Jesus. Because everything needs to be read through the lens of Jesus. Everything needs to have that Christological lens. And if you take a closer look at Jesus, I saw this recently through my good friend, Bob Eckblad, and it's, it's really, really powerful. Think about Jesus. Where was Jesus baptized? Does anybody know what river Jesus was baptized in? the Jordan. What have we just read about? Joshua bringing the children of Israel through the same river, right? Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. So, Joshua has brought the people out of the wilderness, through the Jordan, into the promised land. Jesus reverses Joshua. He goes in the other direction. He's baptized in the river Jordan, and then where does he go? Into the wilderness. Towards Egypt to win them all back, to bring them all back home. The scandal of particularity is so that one day there would be ultimate inclusivity, that all nations would be one. Jesus is a better Joshua. Jesus was a better Moses. Jesus was a better David. Jesus is a better Joshua. He has completely fulfilled the conquest by, if you know the story, Allah and his very own people who we've just described <laughs> to put him on a cross with the help of the Romans. Not just to deal with all the sin of humanity, but also to conquer the principalities and powers. Also to conquer all the ways that the enemy's demonic forces for years have, have contended against the purposes of God. Jesus has conquered all of that on the cross, and Jesus has rose from the grave to usher in the new humanity to win all people back so that a family could be formed on the earth of which there is no Jew or Gentile or male or female. Well, there is, but no division between them. No black or white, Protestant or Catholic, slave. Sorry, I'm spitting all lot today. Male or, or, or a Protestant or Catholic. Master or slave, this is the power of the cross. And this is what Joshua needed to know before he could inherit the land. And as I bring this into the land in the next five minutes, maybe this is what we need to know before we inherit the land. Maybe God wants to do a work on us. Maybe the commander of the Lord wants to interrupt us at this particular point in our lives and in our journey as a church. Maybe he wants to come in and say, Now, I have come. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground, because there's a stronghold for us, isn't there? There's a a number of strongholds, but there's a stronghold for us in this nation and in this town if we really want to get right down to the heart of it. But the stronghold of this town isn't the people. The stronghold, God loves the people. God loves humanity. The battle is never the people. Even though people can be conduits of darkness, even though people can get caught up in the manipulations of the enemy, so can you and me. And the thing about it is that I've come to realize is sometimes we want to see Jericho fall, but we're not necessarily prepared to realize that we can be Jericho. Sometimes we want to sing and shout about the walls coming down. But don't want to do the deconstruction that needs to happen in our own lives. But by God, am I here in this town wanting to plant the church and wanting to be part of a family of God here with the rest of the leadership team and with all of you because I want to see this stronghold of sectarianism, if we just name it, crumble to the ground. I wanna see this wall come down. I want my kids and your kids to grow up in a town where we'll see change in that. But in order to do that, we have to somehow realize and sometimes realize the Jericho that's already inside our own hearts. God, give us hearts like Jesus, yeah? God, give us hearts of mercy. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our division. Forgive us for the snobbish ways that we refer to the other. Help us to look in the face of the other and see the face of God. We have been baptized like Jesus so that every other allegiance, every other allegiance would be buried in the water, would be nailed to the cross. This stronghold is deep in our city. It's deep in our time. Can you imagine... And days gone by, and I was there, so I'm not, you know, claiming any holiness. I was kind of caught up in the two. But can you, can you, can you imagine people in this town over the years? 20, you know walking down certain roads and that. Can you imagine them can you, can you imagine them thinking in their head that this is the just cause? We are defenders of the truth. We're going to sing a few hymns and walk down a road or whatever. Can you imagine the commander of the army of lords showing up in front of those people and, and them being, "Whoa, what's this? And going, are you for us or are you for them? Surely you're for us because this, you know? Neither. Can you imagine the people on the other side of the wall, then the narrative in their head? Well, this is our road. Why would you walk down? You know, th- Can you imagine that? Surely God's on our side because that doesn't feel right. Can you imagine the commander of the army of the Lord walking in in front of their gathering? And, are you for us or are you for them? Neither. Because God doesn't take sides. He's not interested in it. He's not interested in sides. And I know it can be more complex than this. But the reality is what we're going to learn is When we persevere in prayer, when we humbly posture ourselves under the presence of God, strongholds fall. And so I'm not naive enough to think that one hopefully half-decent preach is going to solve this. It's not. But you know what I am really excited about? I'm really excited about being part of a church family where quietly, perseverance, prayerfully, happens. I'm really, I'm really thankful to be a part of a church where four or five faithful men every Friday night walk around like the walls of Jericho this town and speak the name of Jesus and say, Lord, let your kingdom come. I'm really, I'm really I don't know if proud is the right word, it's not, but you know what I mean, to be part of a church family that comes together every other week that will come together tonight and will acknowledge Jesus as Lord, that will realize that worship is their weapon to see in the strongholds fall. And that quietly trusting seven times, no big fanfare, by the way, those seven times they walked around Jericho, just quiet perseverance, trusting in the plans and the instructions of the Lord until Jesus is right now, or God says, now you can let out a shout. And there'll be moments where God will allow ask to shout, and we should come together in our worship and shout his praises. But until those times, we, we quietly persevere, even when everybody else thinks, what are you playing at? <laughs> that looks really silly. How are you ever going to bring a stronghold down by just literally walking round and round it? This is what God has called us to do. And so I know many of us have done this work in our hearts, and so I don't want to cause us to feel like we need to do extra work where we've already repented of a lot of stuff. But as my friend Steve Stockman always used to say, we're all recovering sectarians in this country. It's quite a provocative phrase. And I think he's right, because it's just the air that we swim in. It's just the context that we've been brought up in. We're all recovering from that in some kind of way. We're all recovering from the trauma in some kind of way. And we all, we just need to face it sometimes and allow the Lord Jesus to come and shape us and do a deep, deep work in us and change us from the inside out. Because in the kingdom, it is never us against them. It just never is when it comes to other human beings. In the kingdom, it's never us against them. And so what I just want to encourage us over the next few weeks to think about, if there's any part of our hearts where it feels like it is a little bit of us against them, what I want to humbly say is to you, humbly, the work of the cross still needs to do, still needs to be applied to our heart and our lives to deal with the hurt, and there is genuine hurt and pain, and unforgiveness and all of those kind of things. But somewhere somewhere in the midst of all of this, God is bringing us into this place of holy ground. And that's not the only particular issue, but it would be, we'd be skirting around the edges, wouldn't we? Really not to admit that it is the stronghold or one of the big strongholds in this town that we long to see Jesus come. And so I was just, when I was praying about this this morning, just want to say too, sometimes when you when you deal with some of these kind of things and you poke the head of some of these demonic kind of things, because that's what they are, you see a bit of a kickback and a reaction, and you see it closest to home often. And so it would be no surprise to me if there are uh, relational difficulties and tensions that begin that sort of somehow hook up in and amongst our own families and amongst our church family. And so we really want to encourage us as a church family to speak the name of Jesus constantly in these next days over our church family, over our minds, over one another, that our consciences would be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, as the writer of the Hebrews says, and that we would allow the Lord to do a deep and a beautiful thing amongst us, to become a family, the one new humanity that Jesus died for, and that would become an increasing reflection of that, and we could create a space in this town as we go forward to allow the Lord Jesus to come and do something wonderful. The building building will sort itself out, but at the minute, there's a few windows in, if you notice. There's a few more still to go in, but you'll notice they're having to knock a few walls down before they rebuild a few others, and it's maybe just maybe a metaphor of what the Lord's still doing with us as we move forward. So let me pray. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you are moving. Lord, we just really want to, we just want to really acknowledge that you, you step into our lives and we, we need to give permission at times for you to step into our lives and say, the commander of the army of the Lord, now I have come. So, Holy Spirit, we we just say over the next few weeks, Lord Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, would you come? Would you come into our midst? And Lord, would we metaphorically, maybe even literally at times, would we learn to take off our shoes, this holy ground? And you're calling us to give our wholehearted allegiance to you and to your kingdom and to your ways. Lord, show us where we need to repent, for where we've reduced you to our agenda. Help us to allow you to be who you are, God, so that you can be glorified, not just in our church, not just in our lives, but right through this town, right through this city, right through this nation and the nations. Thank you, Lord, that that's where we're moving towards. That's how this whole story will eventually end. Until last time, give us quiet and faithful perseverance and endurance to make you known in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.